Hey, welcome back to Ars Leonardocast. I'm Kenneth Azarin, and this is episode three, the second part of our robo-themed content. If you were with us last time, you probably remember listening to Martin Peter talk about bots like you. If you do a quick Google search, it should pop up on page one of the results. And what it is is a neat database of robots that don't necessarily fulfill the typical definition of what a robot is. Uh, You'll find emotional robots, creative robots. The website itself says that you can find even useless, curious, helpless, or misbehaving robots. Um, So go and, and check that out. We also interviewed Sana, Parvin, and Faye, who are the creators of Hex, this interactive robot puppet theater that responds to your tweets. You'll find links to both of these robots on the show's information page. In this episode, we spoke with Sarah Petkus and Mark Koch. We saw them here and there throughout the Ars Electronica Festival last year, 2018, and they were always very busy participating in different activities. So we actually approached them during what you could sort of consider downtime. It was an Electronicos Fantasticos concert that occurred in the very same room that the Leonardo Slams were taking place at during the day. And uh, they agreed to sit down for an interview. Backtracking a little bit, if you don't know Electronicos Fantasticos, you owe it to yourself to look them up. The members of the band consist of Nikos Orchis Lab, and they're led by frontman Iwata. They... They do some really interesting stuff with instruments that aren't your typical band instruments. Television sets that they've modified so that they produce sounds when you when you sort of hit them or bang on them. Electric fans that when strumming them, they also produce an interesting sound. So they're doing this with all sorts of unique things. And when you watch them play on stage, it's not only a visual treat but an auditory one it's the whole thing just comes together really well and they're entertainers you know they're not just making sound and putting it out there Uh, it actually sounds like something with a melody so uh, i'll drop a link to one of the performances on the show page back to sarah and mark we met up with them days later and break probably every audio recording rule in the book by meeting at a busy cafe full of chatty people drinking coffee and eating cake. If you're ever in Linz, Austria, by the way, swing by the cafe that we went to. It's one of our favorites. It's called Gerberai. They are across the street from the Farplatz and they whip up a delicious flat white. So you're going to hear a lot of background noise, but if you've listened to the past couple of episodes, then this isn't something new. I don't conduct interviews in a studio. These were actually recorded on location in the field. And frankly, the background noise is is welcome. I really like the sound of ambient city noises, but hopefully it doesn't get in the way of your listening experience. Here's Don Fellner and me chatting with Sarah and Mark about what it's like being the parents of Noodle Feet their robotic offspring. My name is Sarah Petkus. 
Um, I'm a roboticist, illustrator, kinetic artist from Las Vegas, and a mother of robots. And Instagram and Twitter and pretty much everything is at Spetku. S-P-E-T-K-U. Okay. And my website Zonus.com. Z-O-N-E-S-S.com. And if you want to find me on YouTube and follow all my obsessive mother filming and Robohemian. Yeah. Great. And I'm Mark Koch. Um, and on, I think, uh, Twitter, you can find me as Mark J. Koch, K-O-C-H. Um, and uh, I'm a semi-retired engineer, and uh, now I work at Blue Man Group, uh, fixing all their shiny, flashy stuff for them. So. Cool, Blue Man. Awesome. Yes. Wonderful place to work. That's so, so. great, because a, a sound engineer that I met a few years ago when we collaborated, what's, what was his name? Mark something. He used to be, he used to be in the Big Blue guy? Man Group. He's big. Okay. He's tall. We had a big, big mark. What's his name? I can't remember. But he he was in the original Blue Moon group. I don't know if he's still uh, yes. performing. Do you remember this guy? Yeah. 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 That's so crazy. Yeah. Was he a, just, an audio guy or a? No, he he's an audio guy, actual... but he was part of the Blue Moon group. Like he was, a long time ago. Uh, he was blue. He was blue. Well, he was a blue. He was yeah. a blue. I agree. Yeah. Ah, okay. Mark something. Oh, yeah. D. I don't know. But you're also Marks. So. The Marks have come closer. The Marks. Yes, the blue Marks. <laughs> the blue Marks. The blue Marks. The blue Mark group. I guess we can cheers, guys. Thanks. Thank you for meeting with us here. Of course, of course. I mean, we were super intrigued by 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 your by your baby. Yeah. No, by by a, a noodle and. And the fact that he was more mommy than I was, he was oh. like ninety okay, something percent. Okay, yeah. So we visited Noodle. Yeah, yeah. we were like ninety three percent mommy, and I was like sixteen. <laughs> I guess what are the, okay? So maybe that's the first thing that we can talk about. Like, what are the uh, parameters for 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 how Noodle decides these percentages? So the it's oh, interesting. We we didn't really know a lot about the technology when we started playing with it, which was not too long ago. It was at the yeah. beginning of the summer. Okay. Um, which is kind of a funny story. We uh, I knew that I wanted to start developing Noodle's uh, ability to recognize things at some yeah. point in time, but um, it was really getting recognized for the uh, honorary mention for the pre that kind yeah, of pushed right. it in that direction because um, I don't make I don't make any artwork with the intention of displaying it in a gallery. I'm just right. making That's great. Things. Yeah. Um, so when they asked me to write a proposal to exhibit, uh, I wasn't really sure how I was going to do it. But the, yeah. the philosophy that I um, submitted was called Mother of Machines. So I wanted to come up with something that embodied that, that people could actually come and experience and uh, consume what, you know, my, uh, the philosophy and the idea I was trying to right, get across. Right. And the thing that made sense was to get people to empathize with the robot um, by assuming the role of its mother. Yeah. And I was like, well, how can I coax people to do that? And I'm like, well, if the robot judges you, like if Noodle judges you when he sees you, yeah. and you realize that he's trying to locate his mom, that will have some effect. Oh, totally. Um, yeah. Either in that, like, you'll want to nurture him, or <laughs> you'll realize that he's looking for something that's not there. And yeah. I think everybody's been left, you know, abandoned in a department store or yeah, a grocery store. Yeah, yeah, totally relatable. So I was hoping that in any case, whatever they interpret the, interpreted the situation as, they would want to interact with him and he would kind of win their heart over 
So right. we jumped into the uh, development of the technology, hoping to do something a little bit un unusual with it. Because normally when you, you, you're talking image recognition, you're mm. trying to get like a perfect, uh, like, you know, 100% right, you know, yeah. recognition. Exactly, yeah. Um, and as we were developing it, we were getting to this point where he could recognize me very well, but nothing else, and that wasn't what we were going for. Okay, so it was just, just, just you, pretty me. much. Just me. Okay. Like, Mommy. He's like, I really see you. <laughs> yeah. So we developed seven different like classifiers. Um, I guess they're called classifiers. Like when you, you get a data set together, okay. and then you run the training, and yeah. you, you get a classifier for that thing that you want it to recognize. I see. Okay. And we, we did seven over the period of the summer. And wow. the sixth one was so good that it was no longer interesting for the exhibition. Ah, really? So I hit this point where we had to manipulate how the, the training worked so that we could make it less intelligent mm -hmm. so that it was more interesting to people. I think I read something about this. Yeah. Uh, you might have tweeted about yeah, it. Yeah, based on previous runs, we know if you ran it only for so long, yeah. your data was somehow uh, just biased in a certain way. Yeah. Get, um, they get the result you want, but it would leave more to chance. Right? Yeah, no, totally. The, the secret sauce was um, removing a bunch of the sample images of me that narrowed it down. Because mm -hmm. um, like I had a whole section of mommy images in there of me without glasses. Yeah. Which is probably why you looked more like mommy. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. wearing my glasses. Yeah. Because um, the moment that uh, I added a bunch of pictures of me without my glasses on. Yeah. It became really, really good. It was very discriminant. It was like only you or mommy, and no one else can trick me. Yeah. But um, if I took those out and we trained it for half of the time, because um, I think it took us a day and a half to uh, let the CPU run and do right. the training. Okay. And if we shortened it by half of the amount of time, it wasn't as uh, trained, I guess. It wasn't yeah. as intelligent. Yeah. And then there was more confusion, and the confusion was more descriptive of. Uh, a process that was something kind of parallel to how children learn how to recognize things, mm. and there's like a sprinkling of error, like yeah, you add spices to a meal. You're yeah, that's a little bit of error. So that's that's yeah. a great way to describe yeah. it, actually. Yeah. And it it was a lot more relatable to how kids kind of learn how to recognize things, or they don't recognize you anymore if you turn your head in a certain way, because right. you no longer. Um, I think at a certain age, there's a name for it, and I forget it. That's um, right. But um, if a child, like an infant, sees you and you um, obscure your face partially or turn your yeah, head in a direction, yeah. um, they'll stop recognizing you as you. This makes sense. Yeah, this makes sense because they're trained to just see this like frontal view, mm -hmm. and the moment you just the kind of yeah, right, it's it's a completely different person mm -hmm. when when you're looking at someone yeah. from the profile actually. So there's like a yeah. peekaboo phase, and I realized at some point when we were when we were playing with our results, um, I was effectively playing peekaboo with my robot because yeah. I was doing this and then moving my hands and yeah, seeing yeah, how yeah. long it took. And then I think after about a half an hour of doing that, Mark was like, you're playing peekaboo with <laughs> your robot. That's awesome. And it, it was kind of this awesome... And it just kind of moment. happened that way. It wasn't like yeah. you were, you know... Intentionally yeah, playing exactly. peekaboo. It was just... Yeah. It was this magical moment where I'm like, wow, I wonder if this is what it felt like the first time a human played peekaboo mm -hmm. with their human child. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure it's, you know, similar in some ways. And, and, in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, yeah. I remember when I was a kid, maybe six or seven, Yeah. Um, I still had a hard time recognizing, like, 
if you were in my class mm -hmm. as a classmate, and I would see actors on television programs that were the same age, mm -hmm. yeah. and I would swear to you that you, in, when you weren't at school, were acting in that show. Nice. <laughs> like, yeah. because the, cause the, I saw the similarities. Right. And they'd be like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> hey, what? Like, what, you weirdo, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I remember when I was a kid, like, I, I would see people I knew. That were yeah. Family, yeah, yeah. Uh, but my parents, friends, or whatever. I watch TV and I'm like, well, that's that guy, right? Right. Like, but, it's, but it wasn't, right? Right, but making these associations, sure. like, why not? You know, like, right. you're going to automatically make these associations until something tells you that, yeah, you know, yeah. it's actually something else. Yeah, you mature more yeah. spatial ability and other things and then you realize a person right. isn't... Right, right. And you have no knowledge about the world, right? Exactly. Because yeah, uh, you're that, you're that yeah young, when you're five, so, you don't yeah. know how that the world is bigger than thirty feet around you. Really, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, so, yeah, totally. But the recognition ability of Noodle, there are a lot of interesting little parallels between that and the way you see kids developing, and it was fun to experiencing to experience them. Yeah. For me, I don't have a child, like a real child. Right, right. But. I remember being a child and <laughs> you see movies where there are babies growing up and it was mm -hmm. interesting to see that the thing that we like built, like my robot child was exhibiting a lot of the same developmental yeah, like, checkpoints. So That is so cool. It's been that is so cool. It's been an interesting summer. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. I mean I feel like this might be a thing that actually uh, becomes I don't know how to say it, but becomes something in the in the future, in the near future where there, there are developmental phases for robots or for AI. Yeah, it kind of is with machine learning. Machine learning, so, but yeah, but yeah. you can, I think, I mean, I'm no expert, right? But I feel like when you build something, you can kind of skip past certain developmental phases and just go straight to your goal. Yeah. If you, I don't know, if you like script it in there or whatever. I'm talking like from uh, just really a mainstream point of view, but but it would be interesting to, to see actual growth, you know, and development uh, over over a longer term in in an artificial intelligence uh, scope of, of time, you know. For I mean, for me, the, I think the part of the my, I guess my urgent statement is uh, or my I don't know how to explain it one of the things I'm trying to achieve by building Noodle and having this relation, like this metaphor to parenthood, because yeah. I think that uh, people should view the development of technology the same as parenthood, um, especially since we're getting to the point where we're at the cusp of um, reaching artificial intelligence or like yeah. artificial consciousness like or something. Artificial. Yeah, exactly. I think that... Um, if we keep treating it like something that's owned, mm -hmm. I mean, think of like if you like parents who treat their child like it's something that they own or something yeah. that needs to be exactly like them or yeah. serve them. You yeah. see how that relation between you know kid and parent gets really toxic and bad, mm -hmm. and there's like a lot of friction there. Totally. Um, I think that if we keep uh, treating um, increasingly more intelligent technology, like it's something that can be owned and is supposed to serve a, a purpose for our game. Um, yeah. That's just going to lead to more problems in the future. I so agree. I think that we need to take a more, 
I guess, empathetical approach to uh, raising technology yes. in the future. And there you go, raising technology. That's a, that's a great yes. way to say it. Yeah. And I think that if I can provide at least an example of where that that makes sense, even if it's in a whimsical way, I hope that that like has an effect and causes people to reflect. Yeah, I think you can achieve that, I, uh, especially with Noodle. Uh, I mean, there's just this overall topic of responsibility as as you know humans uh, with our relationship to to AI and I think a lot of that responsibility lately has been just thrown out the window uh, uh, in favor of being you know the first to market for some sort of product you know and yeah, it's, it's definitely problematic it's not yeah it's not handled I think responsibly like we're being really selfish bad bad parents we're doing bad yeah. parenting right now as a whole yeah totally. and i think that's yeah we need to be mindful of it and i don't know what's going to snap uh like consumer capitalist like americans out of that mindset yeah, yeah. um but I mean, a lot of the people that I, I did have this discussion with back home are in the mm -hmm. hardware community, and they're very close to, uh, I guess, Silicon Valley, like right, the okay. um, So um, I try to inject my philosophy into that setting as much as possible, yeah. just to see what kind of a uh, reaction it has, right. Um, right. and what people have to say about that, because it kind of, it is in direct opposition to a lot of the... I guess the mentality. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Um, and just just to rem either remind them or at least provide an example that causes them to reflect on the opposite side. Do of they typically receive it in a in a uh, you know like how do they receive it? Is it more constructive like yeah I, I totally hear your point or is are they jaded and kind of like yeah we're not really we're just into to that. Money here. <laughs> I mean yeah, yeah at the yeah. end of the day you're trying to please investors and. And all that, and I think they see tough. it as two very separate things. Still, I see. Yeah. Um, it's it's different. I mean, like everybody, I think it, it definitely touches some playful side of every person because I think yeah. they see it as hobby, and everyone mm. I think falls out of touch with the concept of hobby because they're yeah. they're chasing the money. They're like, yeah, they want the big yeah. money. So they appreciate the fact that I'm doing something that they they are um, they long for, but they don't put it in the same category as like the big money that they're like the tech startup people yeah. who are who are chasing that um, next next big thing, that next yeah. big wave. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they don't see how they're related yeah. um, in any way, and I think my challenge is to try and put it in the same stratus so that it reminds them that there's more to it than right. just. Conquer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I get that, I get that. Is, so, is Noodle your first uh, robot? Or, or have you been kind of developing other projects before Noodle and this is just your current iteration? Um, he's not my first robot, but he's my first robot that's based solely on narrative. I see, okay. So, I'm a, traditionally an illustrator. Right. Um, so my, my background is in like uh, story writing Oh, cool. Doing sequential art and doing um, more illustrative work that yeah, tells yeah, the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. And Noodle's based on one of my characters. So I think ah, my, I my end goal in producing him or creating him or birthing him, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. um, is to see if I, if I actually create a robot and give him as much free will as possible if the machine ends up acting on its own its own accord a lot like the character that I write about. If, okay. if I give him enough, I guess, teaching, training, um, you know, 
the ability to recognize things. If I if I teach him what his personality will kind of become. Eventually become, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's kind of the experiment that I want to see in the end. Cool. So any and any anything I have to learn along the way to get to that point where he's kind of an individual um, I guess Yes, in independent functioning entity that yeah. I'm not I'm not puppeting or I'm not yeah, yeah. Um I will learn that and keep improving him so he's constantly growing. Great. Um, Ongoing project, that's cool. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, so this this summer just happened to be specifically about vision because of the context of the exhibition. Right, right. And it's funny how that happens, right? You you're yeah. you can relate to this, Don, because you start off with a concept or an idea and it's totally your own thing and once you get pulled into a show it totally uh, evolves it to evolves fit to, it to fit the yeah. show yeah. but that's cool though because that's a lot of the times that's how you come across skills that you didn't know you had right right and you would create these things because you have to which is cool so i guess i wanted to ask you if you can see noodle or noodle how he is now possibly not necessarily dictating, but like inspiring future stories that you have it's, about him too. <laughs> it's funny because they do. It does play back and forth. It's, that's good. Uh, that's a good question. Because um, then he might have some sort of personality that you never even saw before, and then he develops it. And then would you would you incorporate that into your storytelling, or would you kind of try to train him to be more like what you saw him before? Or? It's definitely a, a negotiation because, um, yeah, I, I, again, I want to let him become himself. I don't yeah. want to force him to be the way I think right. he ought to be. So, um, hey, this sounds a lot like, you know, parenting. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? It's like free will, but at the same time, you can't do certain things. Yeah, finding that some of what you did last year kind of feed on itself for the, the legs. Well, a lot of right. it, a lot of the it does yeah. go back and forth. Um, that was through discussion with the people I met at, at ESA. Well, what are you talking about exactly? Well, so like you're like you saw some things like NASA has the, the probe with a million toes to yeah. work okay. on, and that somewhat inspired in the toe aspect, right? Um, well, like noodles, like at some level. Um, he's tasting the ground and those yeah. things, and that was uh, partly inspired by some massive things, right? I think ultimately the the discussion, like if I have a, if you and I, like if we go get drinks or something, for example, and we talk about something that hypothetically Noodle would do, yeah. that, that sounds funny and we joke about it, yeah. like those ideas end up stewing over a period of weeks, yeah. and, and then like a week later I might talk to Mark about like, oh, how would I actually mechanically implement that? Right. Yeah, we joke about things like that, like tasting, yeah. like yeah, the word taste is used in our house a lot. It's just like <laughs> thrown back as, as a well, joke. For right? example, but like. Then it becomes a thing. You manifest it. One of the dumb things that we do is every time I refer to noodle, like when we're sitting in our lab working, yeah. um, I'll go noodle feet, and then Mark will immediately make this sound. This, like, like this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it became like this this noise that's uh, synonymous with noodle. So I had to make uh, a mechanism that produced the sound, nice. so I could put it in him. So I ended up making oh, a salivary gland for my <laughs> robot that went inside one of his mechanical feet. Okay. That its sole purpose is to produce this suction sound because it became a part of his personality, like his voice, simply because everybody related to noodle started mimicking this sound that they related to him just by chance. It just was a thing. 
and the sound came from this thing where you have this illustration of this robot, and, and it's not it's not animated or anything. It's just an illustration of Newton. You see these two little eyes, and he's just there, and you're like in your head, right? It's yeah. like, <laughs> and it kind of like, I think you came up with that actually because you know the little crab pet ones, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it's And that was like, that was your way of describing the thing in your mind that you're seeing. Because, like, what would he talk? Like, if a little baby crab could talk, like, what would he talk? Right? right? <laughs> it's just like a little slurping sound, right? Yeah. It's a sea creature. So, like, those things feed and refeed and that's, cycle, that's awesome. And they become a, they manifest eventually. But the, the lore of it, like the story, um, the lore behind that is fueled an actual mechanism that ended up getting created. So I spent like an entire summer, I think, like two years ago, creating an appendage for him that was capable of doing a few other things, but one of them was create the sound. Like he had a salivary yeah, system. So um, that is so intense. That's awesome. Yeah, he couldn't just drool. Like, drooling wasn't enough. The yeah. thing that produced the drool had to make this noise on command. Right, Whenever right. he wanted to, like, emote a audible sound mm-hmm. other than beeping. Right. And then the other <laughs> thing that more closely uh, answers the question you asked is, uh, in my comic, um, he's following... He, he's a character that's seen in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's following the main, like, I guess, protagonists around this mm-hmm. world. And you see him in the background, but he's never directly addressed. So you, you, all you know about this machine is that it's following them, but you don't know why. Okay. And one of the things we talked about is the next step to him recognizing Mommy is having him follow the thing that looks the most like Mommy yeah. once he can walk. Yeah. And we're like, okay, well, next, once we get him more independently mobile, whatever face in the distance looks the most like Mother, that's the direction that he will go. And then it clicked in my head, and I went, oh, that's what he's doing in the comic. That's what he's been doing this entire time. He's walking around trying to find the thing, or he's following the thing that looks the most like mom. But I never decided that in the comic, because I never addressed it. It just kind of synced up. It just kind of met, like, at that point in time, like, four days ago. (laughs) Literally four days ago. I went, that's why he's following them in the comic. He's trying to find something that looks a certain way. And so he's just following them because that's what he's programmed wow. to do. So yeah, that's they do so great. They yeah. do go back and forth. So in a sense he told you what he was doing yes. in the comic all this time. Yes. It was so always, great. always there. We need to check out this comic of yours because I yes. love reading comics and this is just a bonus aspect right now that I'm learning uh, about about Noodle. It's um it's called Gravity Run. Okay. Um and I try. I originally published two pages a week to it, but um, and is it just you, like self-published? You're doing the writing, the illustrating. Yes. That's a lot That's of hard great. work. Wow. Yes, it's. Wow. Crazy stuff. I love doing it, but um, during like the summer when I'm doing projects like this, mm-hmm. um, I'll stop. So unfortunately, I'm not incredibly consistent with it. Like in the winter. Of course. I mean, understandably. I'll work on it as much as I possibly can in the winter, but then invariably, yeah. like, it will kind of die down in the summer when I'm busier. Right. And I do try to crank out pages as much as possible. No, that's cool. That's cool. Doing it. So, I love yeah. it. Do you publish this in print, or is it a webcomic? Web it's a webcomic. Web okay. Cool. It's on my, uh, on my website, which is, uh, it's Zonus.com. We'll mm-hmm. find it. Yeah. Oh, cool. 
put them, and then I try to put out a video. I like an obsessive mother. I publish a video every week about noodles growth. So whatever it is I'm working on, it right. at the moment I'll push a video out explaining where I'm at. I just love this like multifaceted aspect of your your creative process, where you have this comic, and then one of your characters, you know, you've developed in real life, and you can actually. Follow his you progress. know, like yeah, yeah. it's it's cool. it's something that even the the the, the comic book industry uh, at large is still trying to figure out, mm. like multiple ways of engaging their readers. Uh, you know, they're playing with AR and all that, but you know, this is something that's really cool that I I kind of wish your Marvels, your Vertigos, your DCs. I guess that's under the same umbrella, but yeah. uh, would all you know, explore themselves. Yeah. Just, I mean, they do have movies, but that's different. <laughs> but yeah. It's... I don't know where that came from. I think when I was... I ended up doing robotics because in, uh, I, when I was in college, mm -hmm. um, somebody in the printmaking department suggested that I try making the robots I drew. And... I took a mechanical design class yeah. there and loved it so much that I went in that direction forever and ever. Okay. But one of the first things that they prompted me to do was to make a robot, and the only idea I had to make a robot uh, from was the stuff that I drew, so yeah. it just, that it just... Was stuck around as, I mean, my source, I guess, because those were the things that made uh, had meaning to me. It didn't yeah. already exist in the world. Yeah, yeah. So um, I always end up going back to either the environments or the characters that I write about, and I create those. But that's that's where it comes from. That's wonderful. I mean, I'm I'm also a writer, uh, so I can definitely mm -hmm. you know yeah. kind of relate to this whole aspect of you have your lore, you have your stories that are whether they're in your head or they're they're. Uh, embellished in, in any kind of project, but different different aspects of your life will just constantly feed from these narratives, and then vice versa. And it's a wonderful just uh, creative stew, as you as, as you said earlier, that is just constantly uh, cycling. Yeah. So I think that's something that creatives in general. Can, yeah, really can relate to yeah anyone who's creating anything they don't have to be an artist they can be you know a scientist or an engineer or what have you um, yeah they have their own head yeah. space that you you borrow from all the time yeah yeah uh, that's another thing I like to think about too like uh, when you when you uh, when you follow science and then you also follow sci-fi at which point are, are both kind of injecting uh, influences into each other yeah, one inspires the other yeah 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 I would say for me I'm an engineer okay um, and same thing yeah. science fiction I see right. things in science fiction yeah just even books I read which didn't have any visual but the visuals up here yeah. and steward it for years and then finally like I have an idea for a sculpture or a thing or, a, or just sketch it yeah. fine. but that uh, but 
if there's a technical, like, how would I build that as an engineer? Mm -hmm. How would this science fiction thing exist in the real world? Or is that concept that a fiction science fiction writer came up with? Yeah. Is it a good enough idea to build the thing? Mm -hmm. Like, do I want yeah. that in my life? Yeah. Right? And, yeah. and things like cell phones or even you know, the iPhone, things like that. I think there's a lot of that. Uh, there's a lot of influence. Totally, yeah. I mean, that's how a lot of technology was developed from science fiction. Yeah. And I see you wearing this JPL shirt, and I'm wondering yeah, yeah. If, if you've heard of Frank Molina, the guy who started Leonardo, the Leonardo Journal. He, he's actually a co-founder of JPL. Yeah, and so he's one of the pioneering um, American rocket scientists who moved to France and became a painter. No way. Yeah, so in a sense, he, he also then pioneered uh, media arts because he's one of the first people to start putting light bulbs and electronics into his paintings. And I th yeah, and I think this is really interesting because him and his friends, they also wrote science fiction. They were rocket scientists who wrote science fiction and, and one of them became a painter and I, I thought that was really that's great. Such a, that's such a cool thing that you pointed yeah. out. Yeah, and then he was wearing the shirt. That's like me, I'm Perfect. kind of at that crossroads where yeah. I got out of engineering about 10 years ago mm -hmm. and I do stuff on the side like as a consultant, but yeah. Yeah. the more involved I've gotten with ARMS is the more I've, ideas I've had and then Sarah pushes me to like, will you use some of these things you have? You should make these because nobody's, nobody's seen the things we're talking about. Nobody's seen that even in ours before. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. it has a technical level up here, right? And I'm like artist, I'm down here, but I'm like trying to grow myself in that aspect and maybe have something to contribute in all these years. So do you feel a little bit more free with your inventions now that you've retired from engineering or um yeah because when i was an engineer i was working you know a good 50 hours a week right and the thing is i, I started as a creative person before mm -hmm. i was an engineer i wanted to be an artist parents talked me out of it right <laughs> and so i was creative in the things i did to some degree mm -hmm. but when you come to crunch time and a product has to be out oh whatever, yeah you, you really have to tamp that down right push through it and get that that project done, and then you feel, my problem was, I was like, oh, you just gotta push through this, and in December we'll push this product out, and in January we'll be all fresh, and I can start this idea I have finally. And my boss would come and go, mm -hmm. oh no, we have this other thing. When you think it was your moment to shine and do finally get the reward of working on the thing you want to work on, yeah. somebody would be like, yeah, that's not convenient right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then that would push out and push out, or be just wither away, and that frustrated me because the things you'd miss windows of other ideas mm -hmm. yeah. of yeah. products that I've seen in the market of like I could have been the person that got the credit for inventing that but right. yeah, I needed totally. to work harder on this thing yeah. so yeah after getting laid off a couple times I was just like done with I'm going yeah. to go see what I can do on my own mm -hmm. Um, but that did open me up to meeting people like Sarah, mm -hmm. uh, and then we collaborated on her. Her uh, was like your second, technically your second robot, right? Um, which was a little robot uh, kinetic sculpture that we cool. we made. But I focused on the, the engineering aspects, and mm -hmm. she did the mechanical design and the, the concept. And but those together allowed us to really scale that thing up quickly oh, wow. and bring it yeah. in and get it displayed. Yeah, I think that was a um, 
you know, it really did take a collaboration. True collaboration, actually, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. To provide the technical uh, thing, because that was a big, that was physically a huge thing. Yeah. 100 robots all networked together. Whoa, whoa, to, really? To, and, and to track your body movements and dance with you. Oh, man. And this is made just for the two of you, or did you have a team? or just Oh, wow. So <laughs> she, she showed me with further wow. illustrations, like, yeah. this is what I'm trying to do. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, well, I, you know, let's take it, let's, let's break it down, the engineer, break it down. Yeah. Uh-huh. What we need to do? We need some electronics, and let's move some motors, and let's write some code, let's write more code. And we just kept building that up. And we, yeah, we went from one robot dancing on a table to three robots dancing on a table, and then five robots dancing on a table, and then like 30, and then. Yeah. And all the problems that came with scaling with that, mm-hmm. like, oh, this isn't working anymore, why? Reel it back a little bit, and then we broke through that barrier of, like, hey, we can have as many as we want. Mm-hmm. So, and he knew about the DMX lighting protocol, because yeah. where you work now, like... Yeah, it was like ways to network hundreds of things together. Ah, so this is a right. really... Yeah. yeah, there's, like, many protocols in the world of, like, hey, do you have a bunch of lights or a bunch of moving fixtures? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Music, like MIDI, for MIDI, right? Yeah, of course. Um, those are all protocols that are ways to hook your things together, that whatever that thing is, and DMX is for stage lighting. And if you look right. at a theater, they have hundreds of lights. Yeah. They're generally daisy chained yeah, yeah, yeah. together totally. uh, to, a, to a controller board. Right. But I knew about that because I work in the theater mm-hmm. industry now. I'm like, well, Let's try it. Yeah. that's yeah. RGB and some three motions. It's just like a stage light, right? Wow. So yeah, when we... Uh, and it's a simple, like, doesn't cost pennies per robot to add. To yeah, them. yeah, okay. So we went, that's so clever. Yeah, um, we do that. It, yeah, it was like easy to implement. And, uh, we yeah. This thing. And, you know. Between the two of us, it's good because we have completely like separate but overlapping skill mm-hmm. sets. Right. So between the two of us, if we come up with a really difficult thing to achieve, like this vision thing this summer for Noodle. Right. Yeah. We can usually figure it out, yeah. like between. Yeah, the two she of us. she did enough research and her friends and some Twitter followers, because she was like, "Who needs to see it?" People were like, uh, yeah. "Computer vision <laughs> TensorFlow." Okay. Somebody said, "Right, TensorFlow." Yeah. Mm-hmm. I never heard of that. Yeah. Um, and she's like, "Mark, you need to go research." <laughs> so you made this year. So, so she did enough of the groundwork of like, this is kind of people are saying this is going to be the thing. Mm-hmm. So I went and read the technical thing. Go into like, it, okay? Mm-hmm. All right, some Python scripts, and I didn't know Python either before yeah. last summer. So you taught self-taught now? Yeah, well, I've done plenty of programming. But okay. Like that's an adaptation. Right. Yeah. Okay. And she heard me grumble through the summer. Because <laughs> yes. I don't like that language. He hated it. But yeah. I figured it, enough of it out to get exactly what she was asking for. Uh, and a lot of it, it's, it feels, uh, there's some engineering and a lot of it's recipe because somebody over here is like, yeah, I did playing cards right. recognition. I'm like, well, that's like recognizing toys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we uh, adapted that. And the person even described, well, if you want to do adaptus, you would do these things. And I'm like, all right, well, that's a recipe at that point. Yeah. And then once we had that, she's like, well, he needs to do this. When he sees that, I, uh, he needs to do this and this and this. Well, that's where it started to get back into, well, I need custom code yeah, to do this yeah. thing or to control the robot or to 
do things, and so that's where it gets fun again because yeah. you're like, well, I don't have any example other than some you Google it, some right? Like, like, Try to do this, right? So it's really orchestrating all of these things other people have demonstrated. I like that idea. And bringing that, and that is modern programming. Yeah, it's mostly problem solving. Yeah, everybody's done some little thing, and it, you, then you just have to bring it together. Yeah, your creativity is the yeah. thing that's really orchestrating that into this mm-hmm. new symphony of the thing that's, yeah. that nobody's seen before. Yeah, so. it's kind of just like a bunch of recipes that you kind of pick and choose from to create your own eventual yeah. dish. Yeah, and any good chef, or like a, a cook knows how to cook the thing yeah. Yeah. for the restaurant, yeah. and a chef knows that, hey, um, you know, this, you know, uh, cumin might taste good with this other meat, mm-hmm. and, and, and nobody's done that before, though, and they try it, and they figure it out, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and that's where you you know enough about the things that you know how they so, might result. Yeah, so yeah. So you experiment with it. I mean, and just, just you know, the idea of the two of you collaborating on, on, on something like Noodle or your past projects is very much what Leonardo is all about. When you, when yeah, you I mean, that's, this is the kind of collaboration that makes me really happy and I wish would happen more often, organically. And so, I mean, part of what we're trying to do too, like just... In our personal endeavors, like we're trying to create this hub where people can come together, um, people that wouldn't normally meet under any circumstances, and probably collaborate on something. Like, let's say there's an artist who wants to do this thing, this huge project, like what he wanted to do, but she or he knows nothing about engineering, knows nothing about building stuff, but then they find this other person who's interested in the same thing, and then they just sort of work together and create this awesome 100 robot kind of thing. Some of it's guidance, too, like in the past, when when I was an engineer and I was struggling with a problem, Mm -hmm. um, I'd be in our our lunchroom or our break area, and there'd be five or six other engineers yeah just yeah. even walking through the room and be talking with a friend I'm like well I'm having this problem with this thing right and mm-hmm. somebody just walking past and be like this is oh you need da 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 yeah. they give me they give me that thing that I need to look up yeah, yeah but it was that chance thing and that's like this passive mentorship Mm-hmm. Right? And right. So that person didn't really collaborate with me. They just yeah. helped me, saved me Find a lot of your time way, yeah. of, or not re-engineering a whole other thing that didn't mm-hmm. even yeah. exist. And so that was the, you know, when you have communities that go together, mm-hmm. it's like it's good to collaborate with one or two people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Beyond that, I found like design by committee. You've heard that term before? Design yeah. by committee, no. Design by committee. It's, it's like too many cooks. <laughs> I've worked on projects with five, six, seven engineers right. and mm-hmm. nobody agree on what right. they yeah. couldn't even agree on what we were building because, it was, because it, it, each person is like this n squared problem of, right. of making exponentially more complicated yeah. where you have two people that overlap skills then it's a it's a dialogue right and yeah. right. after about three or four people it starts to be a argument right right and there, there's that but the men that's why the mentorship when she she openly puts her progress out week by week mm-hmm. some people on Twitter or wherever will come back and say hey did you look at have you looked at this or here's the new mm-hmm. thing over here like TensorFlow and that's that that kind of mentorship passive mm-hmm. mentorship where that's, somebody yeah. helps you stay on the track and yeah. get off into the woods or stop working on it 
the, the reason I, I publish so often is because um, I don't I don't receive any funding from like my metrics or anything. Right, like okay. I'm not that big that it it's meaningful in that way. But yeah. because I do publish regularly and I try to push the content out there. People have like a general awareness of what I'm doing, and if, yeah. if they care about the cause enough, and they see me struggling somewhere, and they have feedback or help yes. or know something, then they'll contact me, and I get over those micro hurdles a lot faster. Right. Because there's right. like a network of people who are willing to give you that little push. Like, yeah, right. that's so there, great. There's an exchange of information, and I think that uh, YouTube and Twitter are like the two things that we have in, in yeah. social networking that if you use them in that way they do provide this sort of stratus where you can you get the, the I guess the micro mentoring that you need to get your ideas what I love about Twitter out there yeah and it's it's a vital part of my practice like yeah. what I do um, but yeah and I think that's what a lot of people don't realize, that you have this tool, this free tool to reach out to people and have them give you criticism or suggestions and stuff. And I think a lot of people are too shy, maybe, or too skeptical of what the internet has to bring or has to offer. So I'm wondering how we could promote that. You know, I think some people have a fear of that if they show an idea they're working on, that somebody else is just going to steal it. I mean, it's going to happen anyway, I um, think. Yeah, but even if somebody with the, with the limited thing you gave them, even if they stole that, mm -hmm. they still don't have all of it. Yeah. And so, even if they derived something, they're still not... It's still not it's what still you would do. Right. Yeah. It's and not so, what, what yeah. you have inside of you because it's not like they can steal your being. Right. Yeah. yeah. They can just right. they can take the yeah. thing on so the artists, not and, yet. Yeah. So not artists, yet. So a lot of artists <laughs> maybe Noodle can. Yeah, artists just yeah. need to get over that fear and realize that, that nobody's really going to go steal your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But the help you get back has such value. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That it's it's quite worth talking, having the dialogue. With People that totally, totally. Although it is a known problem, though, because like engineers, scientists, they all they, they all can patent things, but artists can't. So I think that's yeah. part of the fear too. That artists can't. I, I don't think so. I, mean, I wonder if you can like if you are copyright. But artists yeah. can kind of you can trademark. Too. Yeah. So that's it's the trade-off. Yeah. Is like if you make something because you're not selling it as a product, so mm -hmm. you can literally make whatever you want and make money in other ways. Yeah. Right? And then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's it bounces out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the other things, like, and I have patents, right? And, and mm -hmm. one of the things that we, we, I learned from that is that patents, if you have like a very killer idea and you patent it, and it's gonna, like in the old days when you had mm -hmm. some mechanism and it made you a millionaire, and anymore there are millions of patents, like we're at patent 10 million, I think now. I think wow. Like we're in that yeah. range. Um, I think we're, we surpass that. I but, think it's disgusting. Um, <laughs> but, but the thing is, but people always spend the money, and it can cost ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars to get a patent all the way through the process. That's um, the thing is, if depending on the idea, most ideas are not that good. They'll never make that money back. Yeah. Right. right? So they just never make that money back. So they're they're bad investments if you're thinking of it mm -hmm. as patentless idea. But in 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 the world of patents, if you publish something. This is how I'm doing this, especially with a video of that kind of level mm -hmm. of proof. Mm -hmm. It's called prior art. So if somebody art. can't come along and now patent it uh -huh. um, and and steal that steal that from you because you established prior art by publishing it. Uh -huh. to the, you've given it to the public and anybody can make money off of it. Yeah. But they can't forbid you from making your own thing anymore. Mm -hmm. They can make it all they want, but they can't forbid anybody else 
So the, it crazy. levels the whole playing field. Mm-hmm. Complete documentation. Yeah. More people need to think really, in terms yeah. of prior art, yeah. establishing yeah. prior art, and artists are, and that's why art, right? Yeah. Artists. So by putting your things out there, you have some. Your piece has copyright, and you mm-hmm. can't just copy that. But the uh, the concepts behind it, or the think ingredients for mm-hmm. it, are should be shared so that there's right. more like it. Right. Um, but nobody can really now shut you down either. So yeah. it lets you keep moving. We're, but we're, it, we're, yeah. we're part of a big community back home that's uh, completely built on the mentality of open, open source. Open source. Great. And um, it's Hackaday. Hackaday. I've heard, yeah, yeah. Totally. Okay. Like we're totally on board with uh, Hackaday's whole mission statement, and they they have a huge community now. That they're they're building with the interest of people joining and just encouraging every like the what you want they want people to help each other through their ideas and network and like make the world better and they have this big big uh celebration every year where everyone submits ideas that are meant to improve the world yeah and yeah that's they, awesome they award money to, to the people but yeah. the, the idea is that you're giving the concept away you're not monetizing it so that people can improve it faster because i think that that patents inhibit progress like it slows everything down and if you're trying to like solve major problems in the world that are going to keep humans alive you need to not do that yeah so um they're they're like hey they're they're starting like a mindset it's like their manifesto they're like we need to give knowledge away and collaborate with each other so that we can get the world better faster mm-hmm. and yeah. not, not just try and um, take advantage of one another and suck mon- money off yeah. one right, which is and stay cool. down here yeah. with, with the, the obsess of the world. Like we should, we yeah. should strive to be better. So yeah. we kind of, I don't know, we're part of that. Yeah. that. That's cool. Mm-hmm. This reminds me actually of this documentary that I saw recently here in Linz mm-hmm. called uh, All Creatures Welcome. Um, mm-hmm. If you haven't seen it, you should look it up. Uh, it's, I think they screened it actually during ours, but yeah, yeah, title somewhere, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I, I'm pretty sure you can find it online. If I find the link, I'll send it to you guys. Okay. Um, but it's it's this similar idea of this really collaborative hacker community that gets together uh, at at a campground or some kind of festival, and there's just this like really cool energy where everyone is kind of helping each other. Uh, to, to build things. Yeah. And it, what you just said and described to me reminds me of that. So mm-hmm. I feel like this is something that that everyone should really explore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, it's such a cool concept, you know? I totally agree. Yeah. No one's interested in knowing about that. Yeah, I'll send it to you guys. When I said that there would be a lot of background noise, I wasn't kidding. Now, we actually sat there for another hour and a half just chatting about anything and everything. It was a really fun conversation and we're we're super excited to have met Sarah and Mark and hopefully we get to meet again in the future, sit down to some more beverages and and chat about some more cool robotic inspired stuff. Make sure you follow both of them on social media. I'm dropping links to their profiles on the show page, so yeah, it'll be easy. You don't have to do any searching. So yeah, that's about it for episode three. I still have a ton of content from these two, so more likely than not, you're going to see some more uh, conversation in the near future. Whether it's on this podcast or another one, I'll let you know ahead of time before it goes live. 
And if you know anyone who might be interested in the topics that we covered in this episode or on the podcast in general, please feel free to share it around. We'd love to get new listeners. We're always trying to expand our audience. So we thank you guys for the support. Until next time, this is Kenneth Azrin, and you're listening to Ars Leonardo Cast. <laughs>